This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. A lot of people say, if you walk out of the room and everybody's kind of a little bit grumpy and not feeling that great, you've, you've cut a good deal. Well, my motto was, if you walk out of that room and you feel like you've been heard and you feel like you're part of a policy and you feel good, that's what we want. That's what we want in government. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Citizen Tacoma, my heart beats true Citizen Tacoma, I'll always vote for you. Doug, hi, how are you? Hi, Annie, I'm grand. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to today's interview because we are talking to Beth Dolio. And if you're looking for her information on the internet, it's spelled like Doglio, D-O-G-L-I-O, but it's pronounced Dolio. The G is silent. She's running for Congress in the 10th. And uh, we and at the end we do encourage action in in one in in one way. So listen to the end so you so you understand what action we'd like you to take. It's very very, very important. important. Stay tuned. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So excited to be here. All right. So where are you from, and how did you end up living in the area? I am from a little town in the Midwest, Kankakee, Illinois. And I ended up here. Uh, my sister moved out uh, and she showed me a picture of the mountains. And I was like, that's where I want to be. And so I moved out in 1987 and have basically lived here ever since. And I love, love, love the Northwest. That's awesome. My next question was, what do you enjoy about living here? And I also, I was born and raised here and I love the Pacific Northwest. My aunt and uncle came to visit a few years ago from Michigan and they sat in my mom's yard and they stared at Mount Rainier. They said, it, how? Like, how is it, how is it there? How is that real? Because Michigan is very flat. And so they were just so shocked and so impressed because they, they thought they could, like, like literally my uncle was like, I wonder, can I just touch it? Like, is it just like, how close is it? Like, is it real close? I was like, yeah, no, it's not real close. But so, yeah, it's incredible. What is it you love about living here? You love nature. You love the mountains. What else do you love about living here? Well, I mean, I, I love the community. I have, you know, live in a very, we live in a very unique community where neighbors know one another and, um, and help each other out and are, you know, part of trying to create a better community. I love that feeling about the Northwest. Um, but it is just, it is you know, also just so amazing to be in the mountains and in the forests. And even just last night, my husband and I went for a short walk and we live pretty close to the, the bottom of the sound in Olympia and just seeing the sunset over the over the boats and the water was just just phenomenal just on a simple walk so I think that just fills my spirit and um, helps me find joy in life. So what drew you to politics because this is not your first election cycle I'm interested in how you got involved in politics to begin with. 
Well, it all started when I was about 10 years old. And my mom, who was a community leader in her own right, was working to, um, to create a public health department in the county that I lived in, Kankakee County. Can you imagine not having a public health department? But we didn't. And my mom took on an initiative to create one and took me door to door uh, asking neighbors to support a tax to support a, a public health department. And it just taught me at that, at that time how important it is to work towards creating a better community. And that is, that is stuck with me for the, for, forever. And that is really the seed that brought me to this place of running for Congress in the year 2020. We have so much to do. There is so much at stake. And as a state legislator, I was able to deliver on a variety of breadth and depth of issues. And I wanted to bring that tenacity and that commitment to a more just world to Congress. And so that's why I threw my hat in the ring. Nice. That's awesome. I, it's incredible to think that a, that a community wouldn't, like you said, wouldn't have a health department. That's so important. Um, Especially in today's pandemic, right? <laughs> right. It's hard to imagine not having that kind of guidance from, from folks that that's their, that's what they do, right? That they focus on public health. Um, so yeah, I, my next question was actually why Congress? Um, and you said that the stakes are really high. Um, why is now, like, why, I mean, we kind of all know that it's really important right now because 2020, but like, if you had to explain kind of why, why now, why Congress, like why this high office, right? Technical district, why DC, uh, why this position? Yeah, well, clearly it was a challenging decision for me because I really, really enjoyed being a legislator and, and you can see tangible things that you do in your community. Um, with those around you to create change. And uh, it took me a while to really say, yes, this is, this is the right step for me. But I think the thing that was really, that really drove me was um, kind of the top issues of the day, <laughs> climate. Um, I have made significant inroads on climate change in the legislature. I prime sponsored a green buildings bill that sets the first in the nation efficiency standard for existing commercial buildings. I was part and parcel to getting the 100% clean electricity bill across the finish line. And I also negotiated the strongest toxics reduction act in the nation. And I felt like that kind of experience, having worked for the last 13 years with climate solutions and for 30 years as a community leader, on these issues, I, I know the ins and outs, I know the community, I know how to use and work with the outside advocacy organizations to build power on the inside and actually move policy forward. And I felt like that was, that that is missing and that is something that I bring, uh, that I wanted to bring to Congress because I feel like we might have an opportunity in 2021 to actually move very significant policy and I wanted to be there pushing, 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 and using my ability to work across my caucus and also work across the aisle to actually get things done at scale on climate change. And then there's healthcare. So I, you know, 
we have a very, very significant healthcare problem in this country. It's too expensive, it's not accessible, and not enough people are covered. We have 90 million people now because of the pandemic. Employment, you know, your healthcare is tied to your employment. And I felt like it was really important to have a consistent voice around moving towards a public healthcare system like every other industrialized nation in the world to make sure that every single person in this country can have access to quality accessible healthcare, which is not the case right now. And um, so that was, that was another issue that really drove me in to running for Congress. It's not something you can really do at the state level. Yes, we passed and I'm proud to support a public option in Washington but we are hampered by what the federal government is doing and, the, and, and in terms of really moving that forward, it is challenging. And so we need change at the federal level on that issue. I'm really glad that you use the word scale because I think that a lot of folks think that like, why can't we just solve all these problems at the state level? But as I, you know, I, 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 I don't know if you, we hadn't talked about this, but that I've taught government for years. And one thing that kids really have kind of struggle with is understanding federalism. And I think that that's something that adults struggle with too, that this idea that there's a shared power between states and the federal government, but some of these problems cannot, can just cannot be solved by states. They're too big. Um, the They're too important. The scale is too large, right? They affect too many people. And so that's a, that's a, that's a yeah, it makes sense. You know, you have to kind of choose where you fight your fight, right? And in this case, that, like you said, the scale is so is so large. That's that's so. Well, it also prove that it can be done at the state level. I mean, these kinds of policies that we've passed here in Washington State, that I've been, you know, part and parcel to the negotiations around and working and understanding the different stakeholders and the different organizations and um, and, and and how to move that forward systematically, move it forward. That's what we need in Congress, someone who's worked in a legislative body and actually had success in passing policies that move us forward, both on climate change, healthcare, workers' rights, women's issues. So I think that's, I think the 10th Congressional District deserves a person who can do that, and I think I'm that person. That's actually a great segue. Um, I wanted to ask you about the primary, the primary fight. So it was a t it was tough. Yeah, there was a really large field of candidates. So um, what kind of what do you think made you stand out to voters? Like what what was it in the primary a cycle that made folks feel like Beth Beth seems like she can she can do it? Like what do you think was the what drew voters to you in the in the primary cycle? Well, you're right. It was 19 people, right? Huge field. Um, and I am very humbled that voters did have faith in me to put me on the general ballot. Um, certainly, I think those in the 22nd Legislative District know how tenacious and how responsive I am to constituent needs, concerns, dreams, visions, and that I work tirelessly as a legislator to really make sure that our community needs are met through the legislative process and that I'm working on broader statewide issues that are important to the district as well. So I think, you know, certainly the 22nd legislative district who knows me and has worked with me really said, this is the person we want. Um, and then beyond that, I really think having a bold progressive vision um, and, and a vision that, uh, 
you know, really recognizes that the inequities that we've seen really come clear through COVID are things that we need someone in Congress fighting for and not someone who's going to protect corporate profits. We have housing. We have workers who are not paid enough. You know, we need to move towards a $15 minimum wage ASAP. It is unbelievable that in this day and age, it's been 10 years since we've raised the minimum wage in the nation. And some, some people in this nation are making $7.25 an hour. That's not okay. And we have proved again in Washington state that you can raise the minimum wage and have a solid economy. It can happen. And we need people in Congress who have that experience, who bring that voice to this fight. Um, so that, that, so that's, you know, that is where, that, that's, you know, why, yeah. why I, voters I, actually said, we want her. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting about minimum wage because, you know, in, in some states, and I'm, I know you're aware of this, that in some states, folks make less than $7.25 an hour. In the state of Arizona, if you are at a, at, a, at a tip earning job, you can make less than minimum wage because so long as your tips add up to at least $7.25 an hour, you can be paid $4 an hour, you can be paid $3.50 an hour. Uh, the fact that in America, we have, you know, the, uh, the it's possible to hire people with disabilities and pay them the subminimum wage. Um, it's not, we don't have, um, like you said, that, that I, normally I, I would be asking a question to get like, to free, but I just so agree with you. Like, I can't even help it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It shouldn't be so biased, but listen, I, I, minimum wage is so very important for folks who, who don't have the means to just afford basic things. Right. Um, well, and particularly when, you know, people, at the higher end are making so much money. And many people, many, many people are struggling day to day to pay their rent, to put food on the table, to provide healthcare to themselves and to their children, and working, you know, two or three, four jobs just to try and make ends meet. That 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 disequilibrium, that, you know, it is unbelievable how um you know the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few is really having an enormous impact and has wiped out the middle class i mean we just really it, it's a problem in this country and unless we have people in office who are willing to call that out willing to stand up to corporate interests willing to say no to corporate PAC money we are not going to be able to change that problem in our country yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering, you've mentioned a couple of your legislative priorities. So you talked about climate change, you talked about um, about healthcare, you talked about minimum wage. I'm wondering about the, how do I phrase this question? The kind of the, the specifics of, if you chose one of those things and you got really specific, incredibly specific, and I know folks can go look at your website to get more information, but like um, climate change, for example, like what, what's real one very specific move that you would support or that you would um, co-sign or that you would, um, you know, get behind it when you're, if in the event, event that you're in Congress, like what is one specific uh, piece of legislation or a priority that you would get behind? Yeah. So that's a great question, but I don't think there's just one answer or one, one piece of legislation really digging down. I think that um, you know, there's basically sort of 
two ways to approach climate policy, um, and I want to pursue them both on a parallel, on a uh, you know parallel uh, course of action, parallel path. So there's the economy-wide carbon price, and definitely, if if I could wave a wand and we could have a carbon price, I really think that that would be a way to really address climate. Um, at scale in this nation as one clear piece of policy that we need. And I'm very- Do you mean, do you mean like, do you mean like cap and trade or what? Um, I'm, I was just going to get to that. I'm very agnostic about what that looks like. I think that if whatever we can build political power for, if it is a tax and dividend where we're refunding folks, if it is a cap and trade where we're working to, you know, with uh, trade allocations, if it is a straight on carbon tax, um, I'm for it. And I will be uh, working really hard to move that forward as quickly as possible. I have also seen in the Northwest where we have a great deal of concern about climate and we have leaders in place like our governor, like Governor Brown in Oregon, where we have been unable to really, really move a, a comprehensive carbon price, carbon tax, cap and trade forward. So what we did in Washington is we broke it down by um, sectors. So we did work on the building sector and I led that work and I definitely, you know, if there's one thing I can be in Congress, it's gonna be that buildings expert around efficiency and, uh, you know, really getting in and creating jobs, retrofitting existing commercial buildings, that's jobs. And those are the most emitting buildings, you know, in our built environment. So, so, um, and then there's also work around embodied carbon. So the actual materials that we use to build buildings um, have in carbon embodied in their manufacturing. And so really encouraging and using our public procurement process to drive down carbon emissions in our manufacturing of things like steel and cement, et cetera. Then there is um, the uh, you know, electric sector. And that's really the linchpin, right? For, for a lot of this work and for us to move towards a fossil free future, we have to get fossils out of our electric sector. And so moving us toward 100% uh, fossil-free electricity like we have done here in Washington State and taking that nationwide um, is something that is super important. And then we have the transportation sector and clearly that's the toughest nut to crack. But if you've got the electric going fossil-free and you're moving your transportation sector onto the electric grid, um, that begins to, to bring down the emissions in our transportation sector. And of course we have to work on mass transit. And we also have to do this through a racial justice lens. Um, you know, climate is impacting communities of color and low-income communities more significantly across, you know, the globe, but right here as well. And, um, and you know, as we make this transition, we need to make sure and protect against spikes in energy prices that might result in policies that we create in this space. That's super important. We want to make sure and address that upfront and have it built into our policies to make sure that we are protecting and working with and engaging and having those conversations around racial justice, climate justice, um, about how we, how we make this transition. And the final thing is that we need to make sure that our labor brothers and sisters are engaged in this conversation 
um, and are at the table working through these solutions with us. So with the, with the um, clean electricity bill in Washington state, we negotiated um, a, a tiered uh, uh, sales tax incentive. So the better your labor practices are, the more sales tax incentive you get to do your, your clean energy projects. Um, that's the kind of thing and the kind of vision that we need to have nationwide. Um, and that's when we go to Congress to bring that vision and to, to really get down and dirty on, you know, thank you for asking that question about how we actually make this happen and what those policies look like. Well, and thank you for in, indulging my, my question because I feel like um, so much of uh, kind of the national stage is um, even Congress, right? Even in, even in the House of Representatives is a lot of rhetoric, right? It's easy to say, I'm going to do something about, about the environment, but you were very specific. So I appreciate that. And it's, um, you know, that's important. It's important to be able to articulate those things. And um, so thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering about um, also your, your potential allies in Congress. So what you're talking about um, kind of the, some of these policies and how you would appro approach them, but who do you see as folks who you could ally with in the kind of the current Congress? We, obviously, we don't know that, what that would look like in exactly what that will look like until after November 4th, but uh, November 3rd, but um, who, who do you want to work with? Well, I have been endorsed by Representative Pramila Jayapal, and she is working closely with me um, on this campaign, so I certainly will be um, allying with her, but I've also been endorsed by Representative Jamie Raskin, who is a leader in um, in the, you know, working towards a Green New Deal and towards um, uh, really, you know, climate policy. And Ro Khanna, um, Senator Warren, Senator Sanders have also endorsed. Um, and uh, Katie Porter, you know, Katie Porter represents a very uh, moderate district and yet she has, you know, run on progressive issues and um, I look forward and have, have really enjoyed getting to know her on the campaign trail. Um, you know, I'm excited to work with my colleagues in Washington State. Um, you know, Representative Kilmer is a longtime friend and while, um, and, uh, you know, I certainly will be working hand in glove with him on, um, on Puget Sound protection and forestry issues that are near and dear to my heart and to his as well. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that Carolyn Long will join. Um, she would be a great addition to our delegation as well. So I think, you know, ultimately there are caucuses in uh, at the federal level and I would, um, I am, you know, very likely to be part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but there's no, no question that I will be working across the aisle and across the caucus to form solutions to move this nation forward. The other person I'm really looking forward to working with is uh, Representative Adam Smith. I helped him in his election efforts in 1996, so long ago when he was first elected and have, have watched his career ever since. And, um, you know, I think he shares my deep concern around income inequality, and I really look forward to working with him on that issue. All right. Well, now would be a great time to take a break. So we're going to do that real fast and we will return shortly. Hello, this is producer Doug Mackey of Channel 253. The worst earthquake I've been in was the 2001 Nisqually quake. What I remember most about that day was watching the building shake, 
feeling the ground beneath me move and watching everyone around me diving for cover. I'll never forget that experience. But it's been almost 20 years since then, and we all need to build muscle memory so that in the next earthquake, we don't panic and run out the door or something and get hit by falling debris. So do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout on October 15th at 10.15 a.m. Plan ahead. Will your drill be at home, work, or elsewhere? Wherever you are, everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, just like you would in a real earthquake. Again, the shakeout is scheduled for 10.15 a.m. on October 15th. Got that? 10.15 on 10.15. Easy to remember. You can learn more and get earthquake preparedness tips at shakeout.org slash Washington. Thank you to the Great Washington Shakeout for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. Hey, folks, welcome back. Hey, before we continue our conversation with Beth, we'd just like to remind you that um, we are supported by our members. Um, they help us keep doing the work that we're doing. And you don't find this kind of thing locally where you get an in-depth opportunity to speak with candidates and talk to other people about important issues. So if you would, please become a member of Channel 253 today. It is $4 a month or 40 bucks a year. And we have a very special thing just for our members coming up. I think, I think I'm the first person to mention this. It's called Off the Record, and it will be a um, short podcast with our hosts and other cool people hosted by me, producer Doug. And it's only 10 or 15 minutes long, but you get a different uh, take on who our personalities are that are in Channel 253 and some of the other folks that are, we're involved with. So thank you very much for that. Annie, all yours. All right. Welcome back. So what is just... I got to just put it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it, I'm going to rip the bandaid off. What is not working in our current political climate in your estimation? What is, what is broken? What's busted? Um, and what is your role as one person in helping to find solutions? And you can, if there's multiple things, that's fine. If you want to focus on one, that's fine. But what's busted and how, how do you see yourself being part of the solution to unbust it? Oh, that is a big question, Annie. Wow. Um, well, <laughs> um, you know, frankly, I, I am so concerned about what's going on in our country right now. I feel like there is so much unrest and disagreement around almost everything. <laughs> um, and there is not an opportunity for people to really engage in civic conversation that helps to move us forward. And I see it only getting worse. And I think that Trump, you know, has really opened up the floodgates. Clearly, he is not the only person responsible for what's happening, but he makes the civil discourse and the name calling and the racism and the homophobia, um, he makes it okay. He enables that instead of calling it out and calling people in to a more civil discourse. And you see it on social media. I mean, social media, it's like, I can't believe the number of mean things that people say about one another, just like with a quick, you know, boom. Enter and it's off into the ethers. Please, please, 
think before you type. Um, think before you hit that. Maybe type it out because that's what you're feeling, but think before you hit that send. Because those things, and, and you know, those things are, are not helping us um, feel good as a community, feel good as a society, and, and move forward. And so, you know, here, here's what I think I bring in this space that I found as a legislator in the negotiating room. I negotiated with some of the most far, people who were, you know, really far apart on things. And I was able to, in numerous occasions, walk out of a room where people felt heard and felt part of what we were actually putting on paper in the policy. And a lot of people say, if you walk out of the room and everybody's kind of a little bit grumpy and not feeling that great, you've, you've cut a good deal. Well, my motto was, if you walk out of that room and you feel like you've been heard and you feel like you're part of the policy and you feel good, that's what we want. That's what we want in government. And what that requires is listening and also really taking to heart what people who you, you don't necessarily agree with, but really trying to understand where they're coming from, how what we're doing is impacting them, acknowledging that, validating that, understanding that, and then figuring out a way to put that into policy to help alleviate those concerns. And, and, and that those problems that, that they're confronting. And we need more people who have those skills who are elected officials. And, you know, I found it innumerable times in the negotiating room that that, that, that was a skill that I had. And that is what I want to bring to Congress. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, it is, I know um, the, the kind of, political climate in Washington state is, is, is pretty divided. It's not, it's not kind of the same sort of like we were talking about scale earlier. It's not the same kind of Congress. Right. And so it seems like, um, you know, the, those skills are really important. Um, but it presents unique challenges, right? I mean, going into a legislative body where there's even more divisiveness, right? There's even more right. like, a gap or a divide. So, um, that sounds really challenging. Um, what, speaking of challenges, it sounds like campaigning in this election cycle has been a nightmare, like, a like a, like a living that like nightmare on Elm street kind of nightmare, like just the hardest, the hardest kind of campaigning that you could possibly have to do based on, I mean, I'm thinking of one factor in particular, the elephant in the room, which is of the pandemic, which is affecting all of our lives in innumerable ways. And for some folks is been catastrophic, right? So yeah. What, how has that affected your ability to campaign, to reach people, to meet people, to network? Yeah. Like, what's that, how has that affected your, your, like you said, ability to even reach across the aisle, to like, to talk to people, to have, do your regular job? Like, how has that affected your work? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. There's no question. I mean, the only thing that makes it any less tough is that we're all in the same boat. Um, but I think what's been particularly hard for me is what, what fills me up and brings me inspiration is connecting with people in person, hearing their stories, being able to laugh with them, to cry with them, to really just have that real personal connection. 
And it inspires me to make change, right? Like hearing people's stories about what's going on in their lives and how government could potentially help with that. It, and, and you just can't, it's, you can kind of have that online, but it's not the same thing. And, you're, and we're also just not, I'm just not able to get out to as many different people um, uh, and, and hear those stories and, and, and really know what that person is feeling and experiencing. Um, so I am, but I am, you know, I am reaching out to folks who are experiencing, you know, job loss, who have lost their health insurance, who, um, you know, are really struggling with mental health issues. I mean, the seniors in this country right now who are so isolated because they are so vulnerable to COVID-19, um, they are struggling and many, many people um, are contacting me and sharing their stories about that. And I just want to go and put my arms around those seniors and, and bring them back into, into our, into, you know, mental, mental health. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And then to, you know, to have to be campaigning in this, you know, my, part of my, part of why I have, you know, been uh, a successful uh, in elections in the past and as a state legislator is is because of that in-person contact and you just I can't have that right now um, so it's been really challenging to figure out how to how to reach people you know particularly when the, it's such a large district and um, you know it's just been hard and it's very isolating you know like I think, I mean, we're all feeling that, right? And it's just intensified based on what you're, what you're doing, you know? So uh, it's very intense for campaigners right now across the board. Yeah, absolutely. I have um, a, little, a little side hustle job. I am a teacher, but um, uh, some, over summer break, I started doing some work in real estate, which was just a, kind of a weird a weird thing that sort of came up, but I've been enjoying it. Um, but it's really strange to do a, like a home tour on video chat. Like that's weird. Like that's a weird one. I didn't realize, or we're going to start teaching next week. We're going to be teaching online. I, it's all very, um, it's a whole, it's a whole new world. Right. And I, I, you know, I'm thinking a lot about how, um, politicians who are, who are campaigning right now are getting really creative with social media. Like, um, using platforms like TikTok and um, getting getting on you know these social media platforms that haven't been used before by by folks who are campaigning because they can reach a broader audience and how invaluable uh, social media is, but also how tricky social media is because of you know controversy with um, you know swaying elections, stealing your personal information. So it's you know where's the line? How do how do people engage in a way that's genuine and authentic, uh, but also um, don't miss those opportunities to get to know candidates, right? Because like you said, that in-person connection is so critical. My, my last question, Doug, did you have a question? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of follow up on the COVID business. Um, the, the United States seems to be in, in a, it's, it's, it is in this forever state of rebellion. And unfortunately, one reason that that's, um, that we can see that evidence of that is in the COVID thing people refusing to wear masks, uh, no leadership from the top. How how does this country, because this, I mean, and this goes back to having to teach online and not being able to campaign how you'd like to. 
how do we get this under control? Do we ever? Why is America so what it's like? I wish I had the answer to that, Doug. I mean, I think we need to unelect Trump. That's the first thing we need to do. I mean, we need a clear voice uh, as president. And, you know, I'm fully backing Biden-Harris. I think they will offer a much more um, calm and steady leadership that we need right now. I mean, our, our you know, things are falling apart. The climate, you know, our forests are burning. Our, you know, hurricanes are wrecking communities on the Gulf Coast. Um, the pandemic is not under control. I mean, we're still at 40,000 cases per day across the United States. Now that's gone down um, and it's gone down because of mask wearing, right? Um, but, you know, it's gonna continue to tick up uh, as we start to have more people, you know, in you know this, the whole thing with college campuses. And I just, you know, we need a clear voice at the top saying, wear your masks. It's really, yeah. it's really a simple thing to do. Wear a mask. And I, I think, you know, Biden and Harris will, will clearly lead us in the right direction in that space. But I am not certain that we will, f that is not going to undo the civil unrest. I mean, there is a lot of unrest around racial justice, rightful unrest around racial justice. I mean, Black people getting killed by police officers. It's not okay. We need to change it. And we need to systematically, you know, change our, our institutions to move us away from racism. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, we're in, there's a divide, you know, there's a, there are a whole lot of people who don't even think racism is a real thing. And it's clear that, you know, we have, you know, our, our historical context around racism, it, you know, it, we have to undo that. We have to start undoing that in a very systematic way. And it, and, and that create, we need conversation. We need civil discourse. We need communities coming together, having these conversations together to figure out how we move forward. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's the only way we, we move this forward, Doug. Yeah. But it, I, I wish I had, better answers. Yeah, I, I apologize for asking you the impossible question. It's, and, <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, and it, but it, 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 it has to be asked. It, has it to is be asked. not possible. It is not impossible. It is possible. It is possible. And I think having people in office who aren't about throwing around nasty rhetoric and, you know, are, uh, you know, able to have civil discourse within that that setting is really important. Yeah, it's like the alcohol thing. You have to first admit you have a problem, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I really actually think that sometimes Joe Biden is about as exciting to me as a glass of warm milk. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that in a like, I'm just being honest, like he's not he's not this the the most exciting candidate who's ever who's ever run for office. And that's not not like I said, not an insult. It's just it's just correct because compared to that, I'd really rather have a glass of warm milk telling me to wear a mask than to have uh, Donald Trump telling me uh, to drink bleach. So, I mean, like, it's just like, you know, choices, choices people make. Um, I, you know, you just, yeah, sometimes you can make little compromises, but, um, but that's what politics, politics is about in America. So. Uh, steady, 
steady leadership. That's what and, we need. And in some cases, um, in some cases, incremental change, but actual progress, right? And not not just drink bleach. It'll help, you know. Um, yeah. it, it won't. Don't do it. Don't drink the bleach. Um, so my my last question for today is kind of, is kind of the the big one, and um, you know, this is you probably get this all the time, but why should voters consider you when they get their ballot? Why should they Why should they check off your name on their ballot? Well. <clears throat> I think um, the biggest thing is just my record. You know, I've been 30 years as an advocate working on women's reproductive health, environment, community priorities like parks and sidewalks in the city of Olympia. I've been the element. I've been the PTA president of my child's elementary school and put tremendous amount of energy into creating, you know, a great school for kids in this neighborhood. Um, and then the 13 years that I spent at Climate Solutions really working on climate policy at scale and really trying to move that forward. And then I moved into the legislature four years ago. And really, I think if you look at my record, I've really been able to deliver, whether that's on labor issues, I've passed bills that allow part-time public employees to unionize. That's an option for mostly women. 70% of part-time state employees are women to raise their salaries, to make their, their uh, uh, work conditions better. I've moved forward a bill that protects prevailing wage. I was part and parcel and the lead person in the Labor and Workforce Standards Committee to moving our paid family leave program forward. I will fight for paid family leave at the federal level. I've been through the fight in Washington State. I wanna have that fight to make that a permanent program and uh, at the federal level. When it comes to women, I've passed bills that protect women who are experiencing domestic violence and stalking from discrimination in the workplace. I've made sure that they can breastfeed in their, in their, and, and pump in their place of employment. I, I did the bill after 30 years of trying to create the Washington State Women's Commission. First time out of the, out of the, out of the shoots, I passed the bill that created the Washington State Women's Commission. We've talked about climate. I was part and parcel to the 100% clean energy bill, prime sponsored the clean buildings bill. And we did 21 environmental bills after a decade of really doing very little because of work that I and my colleagues did to sort of remove barriers to getting those things done. And we have made a marker difference in the environment and the climate in this state. On housing, we haven't talked about housing. Housing has been one of my number one priorities as well. Um, clearly, it is a huge issue in this region Denny Heck has done a really terrific job of elevating the level of conversation around housing at the federal level, but the federal government is not an equal partner in, in helping us deal with our housing issues. While my opponent was working to protect corporate profits that could have been helping to address the housing problem in Seattle, I was working my tail off to pass a bill to provide access to local governments of over $1 billion to address housing at the local level, housing and mental health. That was the number one 
priority bill for the Housing Alliance, and I was able to pass this this last session. And finally, community priorities. The community has been great at saying these are our priorities. So I got funding for the Veterans Hub. I made sure and got a bill across the finish line that helps us replace our 911 system in Thurston County because our 911 system couldn't communicate with Pierce counties when we had the Amtrak train uh, derailment in the middle of our two counties. I've in increased the ability for uh, inner city transit to have more funds to provide bus services to those who are most vulnerable in our community. Um, and countless, as the vice chair of the capital budgets, countless projects throughout these communities, whether it's in Mason County working on the YMCA, which is this amazing project there, or the Arlington House in, in Tacoma. I was there working for this district to make sure to bring home projects that are gonna help move our community forward. So that's why people should mark that bubble and they should do it as soon as they get their ballot so that we, they make sure and get their vote counted this year um, when, it come, when, it, when it comes time to vote. And so people will be getting their ballots as soon as October 10th or 11th in Thurston County. And, um, you know, it's a very short time between now and then. And I hope that people will take a look at my record. I think you can't argue with the fact that I have delivered for the community on a breadth and depth of issues. And that's what I'm going to go to Congress and also do. So I would be honored to earn people's votes who are listening to this today. Thank you so much. Well, uh, very last item, democracy is not a spectator sport. Uh, action items for today. It sounds like yours was make sure that you vote. Right? Vote. Action item to vote. I think that's been our action item in the last couple of episodes because it's so very important. So that'll be mine as well today is echo every single time. And if folks need to be reminded, make sure your registration is current and make sure you vote. All right. Doug, is there anything else we, we need to do today before we say goodbye to Beth? Oh, one thing uh, we didn't talk about is voting. Vote. Oh, 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 yeah. About voting. Make voting. sure you vote. Yeah, so you I thought I'd bring that. Check, <laughs> your, check your voter registration and make sure that you vote. V-O-T-E yeah. vote. And if you want to do more than vote, phone. There you go. Drop literature. Call into other states. Call into this state. If you want to elect, you know, a person with, uh, you know, my values, please, you know, join the campaign. We have a lot of work to do between now and election day to to, to ensure a win. And vote. And vote. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Beth. We really appreciate your time today. And uh, good luck. Yeah, thanks. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you both today. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.